And welcome back to KFBK Weekend Live. It's Bill Horenda, the morning sports anchor. Anchoring and breathing with so much time. And, of course, you can call us at 916-921-1530. Toll-free, 800-834-1530. And now we are joined by a man that most know, of course, as a Bon Vivant, a raconteur, the financial guru, you see him on TV, you hear him on KFBK. It's Kelly Brothers with Genevieve Burford and Brothers. Kelly, welcome to KFBK Weekend Live. Good to be with you, Billy Boy. And, Always and Kel- a pleasure. Absolutely. And I say this now, hosting, you know, usually we're under the constraints of the clock, but it's so nice in a flowing, it's like a flowing offense that the Kings aspire to, to just kick it with you and break th- break things down this season. Wait, wait, you mean you and I aren't going to be interrupted by traffic in about three minutes? <laughs> good, right. good. That's right. The Marconi curve looks splendid The Pioneer right Bridge now. backed up, I can say that, because it's actually kind of shut down, well, <laughs> reduced lanes, but we digress, Billy. What do you want to talk about today? Well, Kel, you know what? I want to talk about the Golden One Center, the urban downtown renewal of Sacramento, how would you assess the effect on the economy and maybe even more importantly the psyche of Sacramento as we get close to wrapping up year one of the new downtown edifice? You know, I, uh, I believe it's been a home run and will continue to be so. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, I, I mean, I've felt that way for a long time that – and this was more than just about a new arena. It's where the arena went, and it went to the right place. And you can feel it. You can see the restaurants opening. You were only uh, maybe two months away from the Sawyer Hotel opening up a beautiful new structure downtown. Downtown Commons, which is all part of this, will be coming online here in the near future as well, which is retail and restaurants and some office space. So there's a lot going on, but even beyond the King's piece of this, it's, every, it's the halo effect. It's the halo effect you know, that, that stretches out for blocks where you see renewal and rejuvenation. And um, you know, to the extent you know, the city put in some revenues, specifically having to do with their parking structures into this, I, I'm thinking right now anyway, it's looking like a good investment. These are tough times for cities trying to figure out exactly how to a lot money, um, you know, and I, you know, I just, it, times are changing. I mean, it used to be where you'd have to put money into libraries. Do you, you know, libraries don't, I, I've walked into two libraries in the last year and they, and they were more like homeless warming centers. And I, I feel terrible for those people who have to use them that way, but libraries are changing. I mean, people don't need to go to the library to do research. They do it on their phone. Now they do it, you know, on their computer, they do it at school. Uh, and so the priority for funds from the city is changing. And I think if you look at the relative value in terms of driving downtown development, uh, I think the arena is will turn out to be a very good investment. And, of course, Kel, I, I certainly you know love basketball and love cities. You know, having grown up in Jersey and being at Madison Square Garden as a kid, uh, the world's most famous arena. Uh, but I don't understand. You know, I'm like uh, Paulie from Goodfellas. I, I go to a restaurant, I sit down, and I eat. I don't know how to, you know, run a restaurant and what have you. But what did detractors say during the planning phases and the talks and the plans of the arena? And perhaps more importantly, what are they saying now? What could they say about uh, this project, which, of course, is completed and many believe, as you do, uh, is currently thriving? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think the you can't write the final chapter on this for a while. And I will say this: studies done in a number of cities have shown that new arenas. I mean, it's not automatic. It doesn't it doesn't automatically just happen that you rejuvenate an, an area because you put a stadium or an arena there. Uh, there has to be a certain level of synergy. There has to be a certain level of private and public investment that goes in around it. Um, and I think that's happening. I think we're going to see it with the rail yard as well. So it's not it's not a slam dunk. That's for sure. And I mean, I wonder about things, for example, you know, think about this. Um, so much of the financing from the city side was based on parking. Um, we're we're in a world and moving toward a world where fewer and f- fewer people are going to be using their own cars, where they hopefully will use some level of mass transit, but Uber and Lyft and uh, you know self-driving cars that might be able to park themselves somewhere. I mean, there's all <laughs> sorts of new things which may uh, negatively impact the projections of how much parking was going to be needed. I'm shocked whenever I go to this arena and drive out at how little traffic I hit leaving. And that was one of the big detractors, which I always thought was a complete red herring that oh it's going to generate terrible traffic Uh, i mean you want bad traffic downtown at night i mean tumbleweeds could roll down the streets here two years ago uh you know after 5 30 because all the state workers were gone home and there was really no reason to stay downtown so you know now that there are reasons to keep people downtown both private and state employees uh, yeah, there's going to be some more traffic, and that's a that's a good thing. That's a byproduct. That's, the vibe. that's right. That's the vibrant, yeah, of a vibrant economy. So, um, you know, this we got to wait a few years to see how it all pans out. But I think when they do the net effect on downtown, it will be very positive. And Cal, I challenge Google Elon Musk to develop a self-driving car that will parallel park better than I do because it ain't going to happen. Let me just, I'm going on record. I'm going out on a limb right now. No motorized car will be able to park itself better than I can do it. And I'm sure you won't disagree with that. No, no. I remember that one time I was in your car and, uh, (laughs) I mean, I strapped on my helmet and you made it in without, you know, with very little impact on the surrounding cars or the people on the sidewalk, which was great to see. Now, Uh, Kelly, let let me ask you about this uh, new report as far as the Kings. Hey, wait, I want to throw something else in here, Bill. Sure, absolutely. I had this conversation with my son, okay? You and I are guys who like to go out and have a cold beer on occasion, Correct. Correct. That is true. I was telling him, you know, that two of the great regulators in my life of alcohol consumption, which I was happy to have, you know, I'm the type of guy who says, if we're all going out, hey, I'll drive. Because Mm -hmm. I know that if I have two Coors Lights with my meal over three hours, I'm fine and I, you know, everyone's good, right? And they can do whatever they want. And I use it as my regulator. And I said, two of the great ones in my life were kids because we all know the pain of waking up slightly hungover with kids in the house, um, and driving. And I've used those to my advantage, and I think to keep me healthier and to keep me more balanced and everything else. And I was just making the point to my son, hey, we might be entering a place where you one of those regulators might be gone for people. Driving may not be an issue. Uber and, and Lyft, all, I mean, it's nice if you want to go out and and uh, and celebrate for some reason. But in terms of just a normal lifestyle, they remove one of the great governors of, in terms of your consumption. And you just need to be careful about that 
when you think about how those patterns are changing and what that may mean, um, and probably good news for restaurants and bars, but is it good news for you personally? I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, you know, Kel, the impact of technology is just incredible in our lives. How bad as it relates to the arena? Is that something that stands out to you, whether it's, you know, opening the doors, how green the place is, how good the Wi-Fi is? Uh, and I know you were there, re- you know, you've been there frequently, of course, but recently for Bruno Mars. What, what, is, what does that feel like for you and for the city of Sacramento? You know, I, I can't, I'm, I'm probably not good at speaking to that part because I'm not sure I use it, use the incredible technological advantage Golden One has over, you know, past arenas to anywhere near its full extent. I mean, it, it clearly is, uh, you know, clearly the Wi-Fi is much better. Clearly you can get a call out. You can, you know, uh, my wife was out of town. I, I, I FaceTimed her during one of Bruno Mars songs just so she could get a feel for what it was like because the place was jumping. Um, so all that is good. But in terms of actually using it, although I must say, I mean, you know, you, in the morning I'll get a flash. You know, here's the next group to sign on to come to, to Golden One in November or December or early next year. And it's great to see. It's great to have that drip, drip, drip of here are the incredible acts that are coming to Sacramento. I mean, the Andre Ryu Orchestra, world-renowned, coming in a few months. And in the next two weeks, you've got Ed Sheeran and John Mayer and Lionel Richie tonight. And you've got well, Hall & Oates tomorrow night. And you've got – these are all acts that would not have come to Sacramento otherwise. No, know? it's incredible, Kelly. And, of course, you know, with the, it, it, beyond just the NBA and 450 of the best basketball players on the planet – it is incredible. Hey, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Bill Horrenda. It's KFBK Weekend Live with Kelly Brothers, our special guest, of course. You see Kelly on the TV side and on KFBK in ubiquitous fashion, the financial guru from Genevieve Burford and Brothers. And Kelly, let me ask you about the Kings and Live Nation. Uh, the reports now that they could be in negotiations to operate city properties. How would that uh, enhance the downtown experience at not only the Golden One Center, but the other city venues. Like you've articulated attracting talent, not the problem, of course, but how would that change and maybe amplify what's going on? Yeah, you need some scale, but I think it would be a really good thing. They're just beginning negotiations. Who knows how the numbers work out, but uh, the way they're headed is, you know, the question that's being asked is, could the Kings and Live Nation, uh, I think they promote more shows than anyone else in the country, could they get together and team up to promote and to and to manage and to book downtown Sacramento city-owned um, uh, venues, places like the Memorial Auditorium, the Convention Center, the Community Center Theater? Should they be doing it as opposed to just having someone in-house who's operating as a independent operator, so to speak, and you're just trying to, you know, you got Live Nation. I mean, just to throw out an idea, I mean, let's say they're booking Hamilton into six cities. Well, it'll be nothing for them to add on Sacramento as one of those cities. You see what I'm saying? So there's scale yep. there. There's uh, there, there's an advantage that cannot be gained if you're operating it as a city department. And it appears that the mayor has figured this out. Um, it appears that uh, you know he's understanding that's a vital piece because you know when you look at the uh, unemployment rates for young people. Um, they're higher than they should be given how strong the economy is and how low the unemployment rate is overall. And the biggest uh, employer of young people uh, is hospitality. 
is restaurants and hotels. And those only do well if the Memorial Auditorium and the Convention Center and the Community Center Theater and the Golden One Arena are regularly booking shows, giving Sacramento people reason, Sacramento people, Roseville people, Folsom people, Elk Grove people to come downtown over and over and over again because the entertainment is that good. Um, so I, I think it's a great idea. Um, and, you know, and again, it's one of those situations, Bill, where I think the city will make some money if, if it's done right. But even if they didn't make, even if it was break even, and even if they just brought people downtown far more often for great shows, and they picked up their money through the tax revenues generated by all the folks going to restaurants or staying in hotels that would not have done so otherwise, it's a win. Yeah, and it seems, Kel, like the expertise of Live Nation to get in there and run things, just like you said, uh, may be well worthwhile. Kelly, as a fan, do you think personal seat licenses in Sacramento would fly? I know the Warriors, there are discussions there with the Chase Center that they're, they're revealing uh, their long-term season ticket plan. Do you think that's something that Sacramento Kings fans would embrace now, or is that an idea that's a bit too early uh, for California's capital city? They, it would not be embraced. Not, not now, um, I don't think, mainly because uh, the people who just signed on for season tickets or our firm owns a piece of a loft. I mean, you, you're signing six, seven, eight, nine-year deals. So those deals are in place. So to go back and try to change it now, I think, would be a mistake. The reason it's going to work for the Warriors is because, number one, they're world champions. So there's great demand. Number two, they're moving to an arena, as I understand it, Bill, that it has more than 2,000 fewer seats than Oracle, where they are now. So you're taking great demand, moving it to a new, bigger city with fewer seats. All that adds up to personal seat licenses will probably uh, win, win out uh, for the Golden State Warriors, I think. But I, I, they're one of the few. Maybe Boston. You know, maybe the Lakers, uh, but it's a lot, you know, the Warriors are being smart about it. It's not like someone's coming in and changing everything, with, you know, the status quo. Everyone's moving to a new arena. Everyone's going to have a new seat. This is the time to do it. Um, I think that window is closed for the Kings. And, Kel, how about on the floor? Do you like what the Kings have done? Fox, Jackson, Giles, and Mason? No. It's not a law firm. The Kings draft picks Zebo, Vince Carter, George Hill on the free agency side. Of course, I was early on they should move to Marcus Cousins. It's not all Cousins' fault, but more rotation in the coaching office rather than on the defensive end of the floor. I could see it just wasn't working. Uh, perhaps it will for Cousins in New Orleans or wherever he ends up as a free agent after next season. But what do you think about this now total rebuild under Dave Yeager, Vlade Divac, notwithstanding the departure of Scott Perry uh, from Sacramento to Madison Square Garden. And that will be the, I hate to say it, that will be the biggest hire of the offseason. Losing Scott Perry was huge. And, I, and, and they have to replace him. And he, you know, you, you could just sense things were turning around. And he had only been here a few months, and now he's gone again. And I'm not, I'm not in any way saying they shouldn't have given the Knicks the right to talk with him. I'm just saying... How they replace him is key to how they move forward now and, and change out some of the pieces. Because let's face it, Vince Carter has a year at most left in him. Um, <laughs> Zach Randolph, who knows? But overall, love the draft choices, love the direction. Uh, this was a team that, need to be re- that needed to be rebooted. 
and it has been rebooted, and um, hopefully the fans will uh, allow for a certain level of patience to see who who develops and, and what pieces can be culled to kind of move people around. But it's just a difficult thing, Billy, because it, it, it is going to be a, a probably a lean year or two, and, and the sad part is, is you have a team – that might be the greatest team in NBA history playing just 80 miles away that you kind of, um, you know, unconsciously compare your team to every time they're out there. But very happy with the direction, but would urge patience. As an alum, I've got to ask you about Notre Dame football. Listeners to the KPK Morning News, Kelly, of course, know that I went to UMass Lowell. Those teams get together hockey-wise, sometimes basketball-wise, UMass Lowell without a football program. But just your take, I have a special uh, connection to the quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, a St. Peter's prep kid. Just your overall feelings on the direction of Notre Dame football under Brian Kelly. What do you think? I think Brian has one more bad year in him, and he would be gone. I mean, I think he's a good coach. Whether he's a championship coach or, or not uh, remains to be seen. Um, but overall, uh, the team the team looks pretty strong. Uh, you know, but but they also, of course, as usual, they they try to play such a broad schedule that it, it really is murderer's row they walk through just to get to. I mean, their second game this year is Georgia. And Notre Dame takes, I mean, you know, and then, then you move on. And that doesn't, you know, USC and Stanford. And uh, is Michigan this year or not? Or Michigan start, Michigan starts up again next year. Um, but they play some great schools, Boston College. Um, and so they're, uh, they always face a tough schedule. They like to play a national schedule. They pick not based on um, on schools that are kind of like them, but also they want to hit alumni in all parts of the country. So um, I would like to think they can compete, but you know I also know the incredible standards uh, held held there in terms of academics to get some of these kids in. So they may they can go up against any kid that Stanford's recruiting. Uh, they can't go up against every kid that Alabama's recruiting. You know they can't they won't even make an offer. I'll tell you a quick story, and it's much the same today. When I was a student there back in the mid '80s. Um, I was uh, I had a I had a student work deal where I I had to put in a certain number of hours and I was assigned to the admissions department, and one day usually I gave tours of the campus, which was terrific. You got to meet people from all over the world, uh, but one day I was I was handed a, a big Manila folder full of paper and told and this happened a few times, but there was one specific instance where I was asked to go over to the football office and I was told. There's a page on the front of this manila folder, and, and, and I was told, you do not return until you bring this page back by Coach Faust. It was Jerry Faust was the head coach at the time. So I brought it over, and a few times I bring it over, and the secretary would bring that page in, and the coach would sign it and give it to me, and I was nothing but a, a courier bringing it back and forth. This time, though, uh, the secretary said, uh, Coach will see you now. And I thought, okay, I'll nice. go in. So I walked into Jerry Faust's office. Tremendous man, tremendous, tremendous man. Not a great college football coach. Tremendous high school football right? coach. Yes. Never made the transition, but great man. And he he sat me down. He asked me what my name was, uh, where are you from. Um, he, and he uh, then he said to me, "Hey, uh, you, you know what's in this envelope?" And I said, "Coach, I I don't. I I was just asked to bring it over to you and to make sure you saw it." 
and and that was my my only job. And he said, well, these are the transcripts for the top 100 high school football players in the nation. And wow. He, and cool. I said, oh. And he said, and you know what this list shows me and what they want you me to sign to send back with you? Uh, this shows me how many of them I can even recruit. Um, and he said, you know how many would qualify for the University of Notre Dame? And I said, I don't coach how many. He said eight. Ninety-two of the 100 would not qualify to get into the university. And I think out of wow. the eight, he got four of them that year, which is a pretty good haul out of the top 100. Sure. But yeah. it just gives you, I mean, and, and obviously uh, this has been, this is not just an issue for Notre Dame, and they try to compete at the very highest levels. But, um, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious when, when Lou Holtz got there, things relaxed a little bit. They won a national title. They were tremendous under Holtz. Yeah, Kel. they won Ricky a national Waters, title. Tony Rice, they were amazing. They were, but also a few kids got in some trouble and they tightened it back up again. And um, you know, it, it's just it's it's you just uh, if if you if you reduce the pool from which you can choose from, chances are you're not going to be quite as strong as if you had the entire pool. And I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm just I, I'm realizing that's the way it is. And um, and and so I'm very happy when they're competitive. I was happy when they made the national title game a few years ago, and then got spanked by Alabama. But every year is a good year. I have learned a long time ago, Billy. Never let the football get in the way of a good football week. <laughs> that's that's right. And of course, Kel, it just shows you how tough it is to compete. Like you said, that's eight percent of the top 100. Eight guys that you that he could recruit at that time, and also. You know, you look at Chris Peterson, who has local roots in Yuba City, of course, played for the late Jim Soaker at UC Davis, and their philosophy at Washington, formerly, of course, Boise State, the OKG, the our kind of guys that you have to kind of look beyond and peel the onion on not necessarily the top 100, but who are the outliers? Who are the kids that are hungry, who have something to prove, and to find those uh, to remain competitive on a national level? And you know what also strikes me? I'll digress for a minute. You mentioned Georgia on the schedule. My neighborhood buddy, Tommy Parker, one year, Georgia was in the Orange Bowl. And at my house, he kept picking up my mother's phone. The ro- you know, remember the old rotary phones? Picking yeah. it up and putting it down in, in frenetic fashion, saying, Georgia, 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 till the phone explodes. Call your bookie, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> So I bet you and, that was when they had Herschel Walker on the team. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Kel, it's classic because anytime this is how my mind works. Anytime someone mentions Georgia, that's automatically what I think about. Was Tommy uh, on the phone there? You know, getting it yeah. done. Uh, and I'm not sure how they did in that Orange Bowl, but it was just uh, just cl- classic, classic and, and stuff. You, and and while I was there, Bill, I don't mind telling you. I mean, when I was, I mean, the 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 football players live in the dorms with the kids. I had I had great football players in our dorm, really incredibly hardworking uh, kids. Um, and the classes I was in with football players, it was far more likely that the professor would hold the football player to a higher standard than let him off. Um, in other words, he was not going to be the professor who gave a pass to an athlete. Um, and I almost felt bad for some of the players then. It was it was pretty stringent. But I wanted to mention one other thing. You know, um, Notre Dame just did something, and I can't wait to see it. They just finished what's called the Crossroads Project, and it's 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 almost you know like Golden One here. They in that what they it was a four hundred million dollar project bill that they built three buildings that are a, around the stadium. I mean, touching the stadium 
One of them huh. is a new student union and student center. One is offices and one is classrooms and, and various departments will be housed in there. Now on the back side, they have like these um, luxury boxes that look out over the stadium. But their feeling was this land right around the house that Rockney built uh, is among the most valuable in all of Indiana, if not the Midwest. And what do, and they used it to park cars six Saturdays every fall, and that's it. So they wow. built this $400 million project right around the stadium. So imagine three sides of Notre Dame Stadium now will will have uh, buildings that surround it. The only side open is the touchdown Jesus side uh, because they want to make sure you can still see the library and that beautiful mural. Um, but this whole new thing, and they've also added a few things that they've held off on forever, and that was like a, a video board and and some of those sorts of things so you can see replays they had held off for a long time. So they're gradually coming into the 20th century. Terrific. And, Kel, listen, my brother Tony, I love your passion. Uh, My brother Tony is an alum and makes it to virtually every football game, home and road. And uh, I'll definitely have to try to connect you guys uh, the next time that you are. And I know you attend games frequently as well. So that would be a terrific, uh, terrific. Because many people don't think I have any friends or family, Kelly. You know, they think I'm witness protection program. So you know, I, I, everyone's every now- your friend. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who ever, oh, you know Bill Horenda? Yeah, I know Bill Horenda. <laughs> of course I know Bill Horenda. Who doesn't know Bill Horenda? Well, Kel, listen, I want to thank you for your time. This has been absolutely terrific. And in all sincerity, I think I speak for so many people in and around Sacramento uh, that you have been so good to and so kind to. And I thank you for your uh, help, your assistance, your friendship. Uh, and I just want to thank you for uh, for that, as well as taking the time to join us on KFBK Weekend uh, you're Live. You're too kind. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Absolutely. No question about it.